Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Dohong Yu with you on this Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Iranian president has vowed to punish those behind Wednesday's deadly twin blast in Kerman. Donald Trump has appealed to the Supreme Court over Colorado's decision to bar him from the state's ballot. China's 2023 average temperature reached its highest in six decades. In business, China's services activity has expanded at the fastest pace in five months. In sports, 16-year-old prodigy Luke uh, Luke Littler has lost in the World Darts Championship final. In coaching entertainment, ice and snow are heating up tourism in northeast China's Harbin. Now, today's top stories. Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi has warned that those behind the deadly twin blast in Kerman on Wednesday will be identified and punished. The explosions near the burial site of General Qasem Soleimani killed more than 80 people. The blasts occurred as people gathered to mark the fourth anniversary of Soleimani's death in a U.S. drone strike. Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei says those behind the blast will face a harsh response and become target of just punishment. Raisi has also called on local officials in Kerman to treat the injured and restore order and calm to the city. Exxon Kevani has more. The Tasnim News Agency reported the first explosion went off 700 meters away from uh, Soleimani's tomb. Uh, shortly after, there was a second blast about one kilometer away from uh, the tomb. According to state-run Isna News Agency, Kerman's mayor said the explosions took place uh, about 10 minutes apart. Kerman's deputy governor described the blasts as terror attacks but offered no evidence to uh, support the claim. Um, officials say a military airplane has been dispatched to Kerman to transport the injured to Tehran and uh, other cities to receive uh, medical treatment. The country's prosecutor general and the judiciary head have urged the security forces to start their investigations and find those behind the explosions. The government issued a statement and declared Thursday a public day of mourning for those killed uh, in the explosion. That was Ehsan Kevani on the blasts in Iran. Chinese President Xi Jinping has offered his condolences to the victims of the blasts in Iran. In a message to Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi, President Xi says China opposes any form of terrorism and will firmly support Iran's efforts in maintaining security and stability. The Iranian president's political deputy has accused the United States and Israel of being responsible for the attacks in Kerman. Washington has denied the accusation, and a State Department spokesman says there's no indication that Israel was involved either. Israel has not commented on the matter. Former U.S. diplomat Nabil Khoury, who has extensive knowledge on Middle East affairs, examines Israel's influence in the region. In Iran, so far, uh, we don't have all the facts. Uh, the fact that it was probably gas containers that exploded that doesn't seem to be the M.O. of a direct Israeli uh, hit. However, uh, they do have agents inside Iran that they use sometimes. And uh, theoretically, this could be uh, theirs as well. 
U.S. State Department, even if they have reason to believe, they probably will not say it in order to shield uh, Israel. There's a long history of protecting Israel from uh, bad press, bad media, bad public opinion. Israel has, uh, right now, given the war going on in Gaza, given the solidarity uh, with the Palestinians from Iran and from different parts of the region, is delivering a message that they can reach anyone anywhere and that they consider anyone supporting the Palestinians of Gaza, Hamas in particular, to be enemies of theirs. So this is likely uh, playing out here. Kuri has warned of an escalation of tensions given the situation in Gaza and the Red Sea. Ocean freight rates have surged as a result of the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. A missile strike and attempted hijacking of a mask ship over the weekend prompted carriers to suspend plans to restart transits through the route. According to the international freight booking and payments platform Freightos, Asia to North Europe rates more than doubled to above 4,000 U.S. dollars per 40-foot container this week. The U.N. Security Council has convened an emergency meeting where member states expressed their grave concern over the maritime attacks. Jody Jacobs reports from New York. According to the United Nations, there have been at least 24 attacks on international ships traveling through the Red Sea since mid-November. Several shipping companies have already rerouted their ships around South Africa to reduce the risks. But this, it says, adds 10 days and negatively impacts international trade and costs of freight, according to the International Maritime Organization. We reiterate that such incidents originating from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen must stop. No cause or grievance can justify continuation of these attacks against the freedom of navigation. As to the overall situation in the region, we encourage all concerned parties to avoid further escalation and de-escalate tensions and threats. This is critical so that traffic through the Red Sea can return to its normal state. The Houthis say that ending its naval operations is contingent on Israel ending its siege of Gaza. Security Council members say attacks have disrupted global trade. The United Kingdom, together with other states, warned against further attacks saying they are a direct threat to freedom of navigation protected by international law. We will continue to work with allies and partners to pursue all diplomatic routes to end this threat. If necessary, as the UK Defence Secretary has said, we will not hesitate to take action to deter threats to freedom of navigation in the Red Sea. And while China has called for an end to the attacks, it says the root cause must be addressed. It says the tensions in the Red Sea have posed new challenges to the political process in Yemen and brought additional complexity to an already volatile Middle East. Meanwhile, outside the Security Council meeting, the United States, the UK and other allies issued what officials have described as a final warning to the Houthi Yemeni rebel group. That was Jody Jacobs on discussions and the UN Security Council on the Red Sea. Both Hezbollah in Lebanon and Israel have indicated that they want to avoid the further spread of war beyond the Gaza Strip after the killing of a top Hamas commander in Beirut. But Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah has warned that a war will be costly if Israel launches one in Lebanon. 
Isabel Debris with the Associated Press has more. Hezbollah has previously threatened to respond if such a killing of a Palestinian, Iranian, Lebanese person happens in its own soil and has threatened to have a harsh response against Israel. Hassan Nasrallah, the leader, did not give specific details in his speech, but he did promise revenge. He said that Al-Awuri's killing was a dangerous crime that will not go without response and without punishment. But he also made an important point, which is to say that Hezbollah so far has been strategic in its calculus, balancing both support for Gaza, for the Palestinian people, as well as taking into account Lebanese national interests. And, of course, this is to signal that Hezbollah is not only a militant group, it's also an important political power broker in Lebanon, and it is aware that the country itself has little appetite for a devastating war with Israel as it suffers an incredibly deep economic crisis. And Hezbollah, of course, is becoming increasingly unpopular outside of its base of Shiite religious voters as Lebanese increasingly blame Hezbollah or see it as part of the corrupt political class that has led to the country's financial ruin. And so all of these factors, as well as the regional implications of what would a massive war with Israel look like, does play into Hezbollah's calculations in that response. But it was important that Israel also mentioned in his speech that if Israel were to attack Lebanon, if Israel were to make that first move to start a war war against Lebanon. He said it will be very, very, very costly. The fighting will have no rules and no ceilings. That was Associated Press correspondent Isabel Debris. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Donald Trump has appealed to the Supreme Court over Colorado's decision to bar him from the state's ballot. China's tech giant Huawei emerges from the shadows of U.S. oppression only to face a new challenge. A bunch of former employees of Huawei's chip arm are causing ripples in the tech world. Arrests have been made with charges of key chip tech theft from Huawei. How significant is this blow, and could it be a major setback hindering Huawei's comeback? Find out more about the latest twist in the tech saga on this week's Chat Lounge, anywhere you get your podcasts, and on CGTN Radio. It's 10 minutes past the hour. Donald Trump has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to intervene after Colorado's top court disqualified him from the state's Republican primary ballot. Colorado deemed the former president ineligible for the White House over his role in the attack on the U.S. Capitol three years ago. Maine has followed and barred Trump for the same reason. The Republican frontrunner has appealed Maine's decision as well. Aris Bitter has more. This uh, would not only have implications in Colorado, but uh, we've seen a similar decision taken in the state of Maine. There are numerous uh, legal challenges to uh, Trump being on the ballot, uh, being perpetrated around the country. So uh, what the Supreme Court ruling uh, would potentially do is is establish the precedent for uh, whether there is any uh, validity to this constitutional argument that uh, Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection, uh, whether that would uh, disqualify uh, him from holding office. Republicans in Colorado have asked that court to expedite the decision, uh, given the stakes here and uh, just how important it is to the electoral process. Uh, there are many, of course, that would like to see a, a decision come sooner rather than later. Uh, it should be noted also that uh, of these Supreme Court justices, uh, three of those nine justices were appointed by Donald Trump during his presidency. So uh, a very consequential a decision likely to happen in, in, in the coming uh, months, potentially, from uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, again, something that has never uh, been tested before, this legal precedent. 
That was Iris Bitter on legal challenges facing Donald Trump ahead of the U.S. presidential election. Mexico has welcomed the U.S. decision to reopen four commercial border crossings between the two countries on Thursday. They were previously partially or fully closed because of the record number of migrants. Frank Contreras explains how the reopening will benefit both countries. Mexican government officials and business leaders across this country are praising the decision by the Biden administration to reopen commercial crossings along the U.S.-Mexico border. One in Texas, two in Arizona, and one near San Diego, California. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador says the reopenings will benefit the U.S. and Mexican economies and millions of workers. Now more than ever before, a policy of good neighbors is indispensable with the United States because many Mexicans work there. They number around 40 million and our common border is very large. We share more than 3,000 kilometers of border. In 2023, Mexico eclipsed China to become the largest U.S. trading partner. Business interests in Mexico and the United States want to make certain that commercial goods continue to flow. In December, migrant border crossings surpassed an average of 10,000 per day. U.S. politicians said it was a record high number of attempts by undocumented immigrants. U.S. border officials say they arrested a daily average of 6,400 undocumented migrants during the week after Christmas, a typically slower time. U.S. lawmakers are debating how to best handle the large numbers. They are seeking a possible deal that would exchange increased border security for U.S. military aid to Israel and Ukraine. Mexican government officials are keenly aware that immigration is a highly politicized issue in the months leading up to a presidential election in the United States. That was Frank Contreras reporting. The U.S. Justice Department has sued Texas over its new law known as Senate Bill 4 that makes illegal immigration a state crime. It says the enforcement of immigration law is the exclusive authority of the federal government, not the state. The lawsuit describes Texas' new law as unconstitutional and invalid. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed the bill to police immigration last month. The law authorizes state law enforcement officers to arrest migrants who cross the border illegally. Offenders can face punishment ranging from six months to up to 20 years in jail. A South Korean court has issued an arrest warrant for the suspect in the attack of, of opposition leader Lee Jae-myung. Lee remains in hospital after surgery. The 67-year-old suspect, identified by surname Kim, stamped Lee in the neck while pretending to be an autograph seeker during Lee's visit to Busan on Tuesday. Busan police have raided the home and office of the suspect. France says its embassy in Niger is now closed. A spokesperson for the French foreign ministry says the embassy has been severely hampered for five months. France said last month that it'll close its embassy in Niamey for an indefinite period. Relations between Niger and its former colonial power have broken down since army officers seized power in the African country in July. The junta ordered police to expel France's ambassador and called for the departure of French troops. France initially ignored the order, but later announced its plan to withdraw the ambassador and troops. Tens of thousands of doctors in England have walked out of their jobs demanding better pay. 
This could be the start of the largest strike in the history of the state-funded national health services. Paul Hawkins went to meet the striking healthcare workers on the streets of London. 60,000 junior doctors in England only are on strike.、Uh, this is the biggest strike in the NHS's 75-year history, and they are striking fundamentally about pay. They say that since 2008, they've had a 26% real terms pay cut. They want the government to restore that, and then they want mechanisms put in place so that in future they get above inflation pay increases. Now. The government has already offered them、uh, an eight point, or given them an 8.8 percent pay increase last summer. It's offered them towards the end of last year. It offered them a three percent extra pay increase. The BMA, the British Medical Association, that represents these 60,000 junior doctors, which is about half the doctor workforce in England, said no to that. They've now instigated this six days of industrial action,、uh, and they are not happy with what the government has put on the table. After the first pay offer was imposed upon us, the doctor went from £14 an hour to £15 an hour, and again, we're just asking for £21 an hour, and that's what we call pay restoration. So we're not even asking for a pay rise; we're just asking for our pay to go back to what it was worth in 2008. Another problem that the British Medical Association, the union that represents these junior doctors, says is retention and recruitment. It says. That a lot of junior doctors have either gone to or are thinking about going abroad, where there is not a labour workforce shortage. There are enough doctors. The systems aren't struggling to cope with demand as they are in、uh, the UK. And fundamentally, they've got a, a, a better-paid job,、uh, and it's properly resourced. And that's something that's been echoed by some of the junior doctors. Sometimes I think like why we have put in all of those years and. But we have given our youth to this this medicine, and we are getting nothing for this. Yeah. Yeah. So what has it made you think? Maybe go private or go to another country or? At least I've been in a number of discussions where people have talked about moving to other countries like Australia, Canada. So it's a real discussion ongoing among staff in the NHS. Millions of people in England are waiting for operations already. This industrial action isn't going to help. But the doctors say they are going to continue until they get what they want. The government is sticking to their position. The two sides are as far apart as they've ever been. That was Paul Hawkins in London. Coming up, China's 2023 average temperature reached its highest in six decades. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Masai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. It's 19 minutes past the hour. China's national average temperature reached its highest in 60 years in 2023. The National Climate Center recorded the annual average temperature at 10.7 degrees Celsius. That's 0.8 degrees higher than the previous record. The daily maximum temperature measured in over a hundred national meteorological stations also climbed to the highest level on record. There was no less. There was also less precipitation than usual last year. Criminals in the United States have started using artificial intelligence in their operations. A Chinese student has become their latest target. 
Kidnappers recently tried to manipulate his parents into paying a hefty ransom in what is being called a fake kidnapping. Authorities are warning parents and children about this kind of information they put online. Owen Fairclough has the story. Cold and frightened, but alive and hungry for a cheeseburger. Chinese student Kai Zhuang found in the Utah wilderness after he was ensnared in an online scam. Police say criminals extorted the 17-year-old's family for $80,000 with a kidnapping hoax. They forced him to claim he had been kidnapped by ordering him to move to an isolated area and send photos to his family back in China, threatening to harm them if he didn't comply. The reason why they have him seclude himself in the woods or away from somebody, everybody in society, is so they can continue to extort as much money as possible. They then coerced his parents to deposit the ransom in a bank account. The teenager was being hosted by a family in Riverdale City as part of an exchange, but was reported missing last Thursday after his parents raised the alarm. Officers narrowed down his whereabouts around 25 miles north after analysing his online activity and phone location. He was found on Sunday sheltering in a tent with a heat blanket, sleeping bag and limited food and water. The FBI say Kai's case is the latest in a growing trend, with criminals now using artificial intelligence to mimic their victims' voices and images. That was Owen Fairclough on a fake kidnapping case in the U.S. involving a Chinese student. Sichuan province in southwestern China is home to a large-scale smart city project. It's been built in collaboration with California. It aims to provide space for international companies to establish offices in China. Zheng Songwu takes a look. In 2017, Sichuan province established a formal relationship with the U.S. state of California to collaborate on clean energy projects. One of them is the Meishan Smart City Development, located in Chengdu's 10th new area. Under construction since 2019, it covers an area of 200 hectares. More than 70 enterprises have already established offices in the city. As the world's fifth largest economy, California is a pioneer in research and development in clean energy, accounting for 60% of U.S. investment. And our Sichuan province also has an abundance of clean energy resources and is the largest hydropower production base in China. So there's a good prospect for a cooperation between the two regions. Under the Belt and the Road Initiative, Meishan has become a frontier city in China's opening up to the world. The project is also designed to promote green information technology and sustainable development. Only 10% of the city has been completed, but it already provides enterprises with facilities like rooftop solar panels and energy storage piles. More companies are moving to the city. Our company mainly focuses on digital agriculture, smart cities, and irrigation using our self-manufactured satellites, as well as the Beidou Navigation Satellite System. We launched 10 satellites last year, ranking fourth in China. I think a lot of people from my, from my generation feels uh, motivated to work towards uh, reducing climate change because we were brought up with the belief that this is the time we have to do something about climate change. There is no other time. We wouldn't be able to have done this without the support of uh, Meishan California. Meishan California helped us, was the first uh, incubator 
that uh, approached us and really liked our idea mm -hmm. and really helped us from the very beginning mm -hmm. with an office and resources and uh, valuable um, support. Once completed, the Meishan California Smart City will include research centers, schools, and is expected to house over 200 companies from across the world to share their experience working in the clean energy industry. Sichuan is one of the most pivotal provinces in China for clean energy development, and authorities in Meishan and California are working further to create a more environmentally friendly prospects for their people. That was Zheng Songwu on the smart city in Meishan. China has recently started using a new generation of nuclear power units that are safer and more efficient. A power plant in eastern China is the first in the world that went into commercial operation with a fourth-generation technology. Zheng Yibing went to the Shidawan nuclear power plant to learn more. The power plant draws global attention as it adopts high-temperature gas-cooled reactor pebble bed module, which is claimed to be able to steer it away from meltdown or leak of radioactive materials even in any extreme conditions. So almost a month after the start of this commercial operation, I came here and talked to the senior operators about its performance. In the past few weeks of its commercial use, our two reactors in the power unit have maintained the initial full power stable operation. They generate electricity every day with a power of 150 megawatts. The state of the unit, including the operation of various parameters, are very stable. Then the electricity we generate is supplied to the Shandong power grid. This sphere is a one-to-one -one model of the fuel element that we use in our HTRPM. It's six centimeters in diameter, and inside it are 12,000 one-millimeter coated fuel particles. And inside the particles, there's a very small fuel core and four layers of ceramic armor. Our entire ceramic armor can withstand very high temperatures, and under any working conditions, the temperature of the fuel ball will not exceed the temperature that the ceramic armor can tolerate, so that it can ensure its safety and ensure that radioactive materials will not leak out. The operator said each sphere has an energy equal to 1.5 tons of coal, and there's no need for the usual procedure of temporarily shutting down reactors for refueling, allowing constant operation. The operating reactors are cooled by the inert gas helium instead of water, and they also use a passive residual heat removal system, which is the key assurance for the inherent safety of reactors. The power plant began construction in 2012. It was connected to the grid in 2021 and went into commercial operation in 2023. It's planned to contribute to the electricity supply in the region and set an example for further development of fourth-generation nuclear power plants. That was Zheng Yibing in Shandong province. New energy has become the largest energy source in China's plateau province, Qinghai. New energy generation surpassed that of hydropower in the northwestern region for the first time last year. The state grid's Qinghai branch says total installed clean energy capacity in the province topped 51 million kilowatts in 2023. Qinghai is home to the headwaters of the Yangtze, Yellow and Lanshong rivers and is known for its rich water, solar and wind power resources. Experts say a new-generation Chinese ice-breaking research vessel is capable of many functions, though it's small in size. 
the GD polar icebreaker with a 26,000-kilometer navigational range, is in the final testing stage before its launch. It can accommodate 60 crew members, and one replenishment can sustain the vessel with all those on board for over 80 days at sea. The icebreaker is equipped with Chinese-made research equipment, including drones, unmanned ships, and um, autonomous underwater robots to explore deep sea and frozen areas difficult to reach by traditional vessels. Now it's 28 minutes past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 5 on Thursday evening. Friday will be sunny and 5. Nanchang is 4 tonight. Tomorrow will have light rain with a high of 13. In Asia, Noto in Japan's earthquake-stricken Ishikawa prefecture is 2 this evening. Friday will see strong breeze and scattered showers with a high of 8. Now it's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Iranian president has vowed to punish those behind Wednesday's deadly twin blast in Kerman. Dohong Yu with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Dohong Yu with you on this Thursday. Still to come in business, China's services activity has expanded at the fastest pace in five months. In sports, 16-year-old prodigy Luke Littler has lost in the world dart championship final. In culture and entertainment, ice and snow are heating up tourism in northeast China's Harbin. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Now, first today's headlines, here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Hong Yu. Iranian President Abraham Raisi has warned that those behind the deadly twin blasts in Kerman on Wednesday will be identified and punished for their move. A huge crowd is moving toward the hallowed grave of Qasem Soleimani these days, and he tried to scare the people with the barbaric act. Now that, you can't overpower the resistance, and your power has lost its efficiency against the resistance forces. You come for the innocent people, 
Be aware that in exchange for this horrifying crime, you will pay a high price. Local media reported that two explosions near the burial site of late Iranian General Qasem Soleimani killed at least 95 people. The blast happened as people gathered at the cemetery in Kerman to mark the fourth anniversary of the death of Soleimani, who was killed in a U.S. drone strike. Both Raisi and Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei have described the incident as an act of terror. Chinese President Xi Jinping has conveyed his condolences to his Iranian counterpart Ibrahim Raisi following the twin blasts. President she stressed that China opposes all forms of terrorism and firmly supports Iran's efforts to uphold national security and stability. Both Hezbollah and Israel have indicated that they want to avoid the further spread of war beyond the Gaza Strip after the killing of a top Hamas commander in Beirut. But the Hezbollah leader has warned that they will attack Israel without restraint if Israel expands its attacks against Lebanon. Syed Hassan Nasrallah was speaking on television to mark the fourth anniversary of the death of top Iranian general Qasem Soleimani, who was killed in a U.S. drone strike. If the enemy thinks of waging a war against Lebanon, our fight will be without surfaces, without limits, without rules and without controls. He knows what I mean, our men, missiles, our capabilities and our threats. The Hezbollah leader has also condemned the assassination of Hamas deputy chief Saleh Awarari in Beirut, describing it as a dangerous crime. The border between Lebanon and Israel has witnessed increasing tensions since the Israel-Hamas conflict broke out. Hezbollah fired rockets toward Israel in support of Hamas, prompting Israel to respond by firing heavy artillery toward southeastern Lebanon. The confrontations have killed over 200 people on the Lebanese side. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has asked the Supreme Court to invalidate a recent ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court, which which removed him from the state's 2024 presidential primary ballot. Two weeks ago, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Trump, who is the 2024 Republican frontrunner, isn't an eligible presidential candidate with a vote of 4-3. The ruling cited a U.S. constitutional provision prohibiting people who have engaged in insurrection from federal office. Parts of Europe have continued to experience heavy flooding, with weather services warning of persistent rain and rising water levels in the coming days. In Germany's worst-affected northwestern state of Lower Saxony, heavy rain on Wednesday night caused the water levels of several rivers to rise, increasing the risk of major flooding. The country's disaster control has reportedly reached its limit in some areas due to a lack of sandbags and overflowing dikes. In neighboring France, uh, France the, ne- the weather authority is on high alert for flood and gale force wind. More hospitals in the United States are requiring masks and limiting visitors amid a post-holiday spike in flu, COVID-19, and other illnesses. New York resumed a mask mandate for the city's 11 public hospitals last week. Similar measures have also been ordered at some some hospitals in Los Angeles and Massachusetts. Infectious diseases expert Dr. William Schaffner says he supports such measures. So here and there, hospitals are asking people, visitors, as well as their healthcare staff, to put back their masks in order to protect their patients as well as each other from these viral infections. So in addition to vaccine, the masks do provide an additional layer of protection. 
Flu and COVID-19 infections have been increasing in the U.S. for weeks, with 31 states reporting a significant increase in flu-like illnesses before Christmas. But some experts say such cases may peak by the end of the month and then drop. Officials in San Francisco say workers have finished installing stainless steel nets on both sides of the Golden Gate Bridge to prevent suicide. The workers placed the nets six meters meters down from the deck of the bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge has long been a destination for people seeking to end their lives, with over 2,000 plunging to their deaths since it opened in 1937. A, gr- a group of parents who lost their children to suicide at the bridge have been advocating for a solution for two decades. Local. Officials approved the project of building the nets in 2014. Thank you very much. That was Tian Yu with headline news. This is Dou Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's services activity has expanded at the fastest pace in five months. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. Thirty-seven past the hour. Turning to business, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you very much, Hong Yu. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index declined nearly half of one percent. The Shenzhen component was down one and a quarter percent.、Uh, the data couldn't even keep a floor under China's bellwether consumer stocks.、Uh, the big liquor makers, Guizhou Maotai shares, were down one and a half percent. We saw rival Guizhou maker Luzhou Laojiao shed about three point three percent. There's also a strong outflow of foreign investor funds. A net six and a half billion yuan worth of A shares were sold on the Stock Connect links even before the lunchtime trading break. We saw Morgan Stanley analysts pinpoint a recent trend of global long-term investment funds pulling money out of the Chinese mainland markets and the Hong Kong markets as well. Really, December was the worst month of 2023 for those outflows. That's again according to Morgan Stanley. They hit three. 3.8 billion U.S. dollars. That's、uh, combined for the Chinese mainland and Hong Kong.、Uh, a bit more than half of that was investors,、uh, individual investors, redeeming money from their funds, and the rest was、uh, the funds diversifying away from、uh, Chinese equities. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. Elsewhere in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index closed almost flat. In Japan, the Nikkei went down 0.5 percent. A private sector survey shows that China's services activity has expanded at the fastest pace in five months. The Taishin Services Purchasing Managers Index rose to 52.9 in December from November's 51.5, above the 50 mark separating growth from contraction. It's also the highest reading since July. The survey attributes the growth to rising customer numbers and spending. Foreign demand for Chinese services also increased last month. Around 214,000 travelers from France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, and Malaysia entered China in December after the visa-free policy took effect, up around 28% from November. Services firms remain upbeat about the business activity in 2024, with the level of positive sentiment increasing to a three-month high. 
Chinese Finance Minister Lan Fuan says the country will enhance its pursuit of a proactive fiscal policy. China aims to bolster the sustainability of financial resources and make good use of policy tools. He also says the country will increase government spending to further support the high-quality development of the country. On Tuesday, the central bank of China injected 350 billion yuan, or around 50 billion U.S. dollars, of funds into three policy banks. The money is expected to advance some major real estate projects, including the construction of affordable housing, public infrastructure for regular and emergency use, and the renovation of shanty towns in cities. Chinese authorities say the country aims to build a modern industrial system boosted by scientific and technological innovation. Li Lijun with the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology says more efforts will be made to promote innovation capabilities. We will focus our efforts on five main tasks, improving industrial technological innovation capabilities, promoting high-quality development of key industrial chains, upgrading our industrial structure, promoting the deep integration of digital technology and the real economy, and boosting business motivation and vitality. The official says authorities will continue to adopt and implement favorable policies for private companies with a key focus on innovative small and medium enterprises. The recent economic work conference in China has set the tone for seeking progress while maintaining stability. Li Li Lu has spoken with Robin Xing, chief China economist at Morgan Stanley, to discuss some of the driving forces and new opportunities likely to emerge in 2024. What do you think are the uh, current challenges that the uh, Chinese economy is facing? And what is your outlook for the economic growth in 2024? Well, China is facing a combination of debt, demographic, and deflation pressure. To address these issues, Beijing has stepped up its support to the Chinese economy since August, led by um, the fiscal budget expansion by RMB 1 trillion, and also the launch of uh, home easing measures, plus some central local government debt swap program. So looking into 2024, we think underlying nominal GDP growth could improve slightly to 4.7% from a 4.2% sluggish nominal GDP growth this year. That's because we think um, inflation indicators, CPI, PPI, will likely improve with the policy support and the resilient consumption. So that's the key word for 2024, a modest recovery in nominal GDP growth. So latest figures show that in the first three quarters of 2023, a final consumption expenditure accounted for more than 83% of economic growth. What does that tell us? I think it shows consumption is still the most important driver of the Chinese economy. So that also means rebalancing the economy towards consumption will still be the key step for China to grow sustainably in the next few years. We think policymakers can also increase their social welfare spending because Chinese households still have one of the highest saving rate among major economies. So if we can reduce the precautionary saving among households with better and more coverage of social welfare, for example, for migrant workers, that could reduce the precautionary saving and unleash some consumption potential. So that's also the part we are focusing on for next year. That was Robin Xing, chief China economist at Morgan Stanley.
China's Securities Regulatory Commission has approved dozens of new qualified foreign investors to invest in its stock exchanges in 2023. The 81 new qualified foreign investors come from 15 different countries, regions, and international organizations. It marks the second biggest number approved in a year by the regulator. Figures show that such foreign institutional investors held around nine billion shares of companies listed on the A share market, with a market value of nearly 20 billion U.S. dollars. Fengshan Science Park in Beijing has adopted the offices in the front and factories in the back model to advance science and technology. Hojing explores the particular model in the southwest of the Chinese capital. Beijing is renowned as a talent hotspot, particularly in areas like Zhongguancun, where numerous technical experts and entrepreneurs congregate. In the southwest part of Beijing, specifically in Fengshan District, there exists a distinctive science park that adopts the operational model of offices in the front and factories in the back. Within the Zhongguancun Fengshan Science Park, a seamless integration of study, research, manufacturing, and application can be observed. This includes the remarkable high-end manufacturing base I had the opportunity to visit, spanning an impressive 7.4 square kilometers. Zhongguancun caters to the R&D needs of companies by providing office spaces, while also offering standard factories to meet their production requirements. Simultaneously, the Liangxiang University Township has established a talent cultivation mechanism specifically designed for local companies. As a result, these elements collectively form an ecosystem that seamlessly integrates study, research, manufacturing, and application. As part of my interviews within the Fengshan Science Park, I had the opportunity to speak with representatives. Their respective businesses have achieved significant growth following their move to the park. The science park provided us with a spacious office area spanning 5,000 square meters. Conveniently located just across the street, our factory occupies an impressive 30,000 square meters, enabling us to achieve an annual production capacity of six gigawatt hours. The integration of our office and factory within a single area. Has greatly facilitated our development by offering convenient services. Since our establishment in Fengshan District two years ago, we have been honored with numerous awards. For example, being selected as Beijing's Specialized SME in 2023 for our outstanding contributions and accomplishments. The science park also offers multifunctional areas aimed at enhancing the living conditions for its staff members. Within the science park, 720 apartments are available for scientific workers, along with study rooms, shops, and an exercise area covering 3,000 square meters. That was Hou Jing reporting. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zihan with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, 16-year-old darts prodigy Luke Littler has lost in the World Championship final. Every year, we seem to see teenage sensations emerging from a variety of sporting codes around the world. Some maintain the success; others struggle to live up to the hype. Join us on this week's episode of Sideline Story, where we discuss 16-year-old Luke Littler's extraordinary run at the World Darts Championship this year. We also talk about the pressures these stars face and select our top young talents that have made an impact on their sports. 
47 past the hour. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Hongyu. English teenager Luke Littler's history-making run at the World Darts Championship has ended when the 16-year-old sensation was beaten 7-4 in the final by Luke Humphries. The unseeded player was on debut at the tournament. He would have become the youngest ever winner of Dart's biggest prize but lost an epic match in London. At one point, the teenager had the chance to take a 5-2 lead, but only for world number one Humphries to come back to win five straight sets and his first world title. As a runner-up, Littler has still won $250,000 in prize money and looks likely to contend for major titles for years to come after making history by becoming the youngest finalist. Now turning to tennis, Novak Djokovic continued to struggle with his wrist injury as Australia stunned Serbia with a 3-0 way in the quarterfinals of the United Cup. Djokovic lost in straight sets against Alex Dominao and was clearly in discomfort, calling medical timeout twice during the first set. But the world number one says he's not concerned about the injury. I think I'll be okay, to be honest. Uh, but, you know, it did have an, quite an impact, you know, um, particularly on the forehand and serve. But it was just one of these days where you didn't feel your best, I guess, on the court and uh, your opponent played very well. And that's, that's all I can say. Uh, I have plenty of time to, plenty, I mean, I have, I think, enough time to, to get myself in the right shape for Australian Open, and that's what matters the most uh, at this point. The Australian Open begins in Melbourne on January 14th. Elsewhere at the United Cup, Poland, France and Greece have completed the respective wins to progress to the quarterfinals. Rising Chinese talents, uh, tennis star Xiang Junchen has continued his giant killing spree at ATP Hong Kong Open. The 18-year-old recorded his second successive triumph against a top 50 player, following a three-cent victory over Bodich van der Zandschop. Xiang saved a match point en route to a third-set tiebreak win. He thanked the home crowd after the tough battle. Well, uh, I'd say it's pretty hard to lose focus with this amazing crowd, so I kept it all together. All d- Thank you guys. I mean, it's overall roller coaster match. I mean, you can see from the time three hours, almost 30 minutes. I mean, on the court, I was feeling very fit. I have a great team over there. Did the preseason with them. I think it's amazing. Thank you guys for the help. Sean had beaten Laszlo Jerry in the first round, which was his first career win against a top 40 player. He will next face a third seed, Francis Tiafo, in the quarterfinals. Moving to football, Real Madrid and Girona have extended their impressive runs to reach the halfway point of the La Liga season at the top of the standings. Both teams won on Wednesday to reach 48 points, with Real ahead of Girona on a tiebreaker. Madrid edged Mallorca 1-0 at home with a late goal by Antonio Rudiger in a match that marked the return of Vinicius Jr. from injury. Manager Carlo Ancelotti says the team didn't play at its 100%, but key players stepped up to solve the problems. We have good deliverers, very good players in the air like Antonio Rudiger. Their games like today, where set pieces make the difference. Today was a tough game. We played against a team that defended very, very well, and they were well organized, very strong on duels. On our side, we didn't play our best. We lacked some freshness, some sharpness, especially in the last third. But we won because of our set piece. 
Girona, the surprise team in Spanish football this season, defeated Atletico Madrid 4-3 with a winner by Ivan Martin in stoppage time. The World Table Tennis Men's Finals has kicked off in Doha with five out of six players of the Chinese team advancing to the quarterfinals. The three-day tournament brings together the world's top 16 men's players. The only crash from Team China was Lin Shidong's loss to Chu Dan of Germany. Chu won the thriller in five sets and will next meet Liang Jingquan in the quarterfinals. World number one Fan Zhendong fought hard to advance, narrowly beating Slovenia's Darko Jogic in five sets. Ma Long, Lin Gaoyuan and Wang Chuqin all east through to the quarterfinals. Japan's Tomokazu Haramoto pulled off a 3-2 win over Germany's Dmitry Ocharov to complete the top eight. And finally, in golf, Scotty Scheffler is the PGA Tour Player of the Year in a close vote over Masters champion John Rahm. Scheffler is the first back-to-back winner of the award since Tiger Woods in 2006 and 2007. Looking into the past, I'm very proud of the body of work that I put in, the consistency that I put in last year. I'm very proud of. Um, I'm proud of both of my wins, and then, or I guess all three of them now, including the hero. And yeah, it was it was a really solid year, and uh, I'm proud of how I played. Scheffler had a staggering statistical year. He played so well that he didn't finish out of the top 12 until July. He won two titles at the Players' Championship and the Phoenix Open. Rahm won four times, including the Masters. There are questions raised whether players voting penalized Rahm for joining Live Golf. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, ice and snow are heating up tourism in northeast China's Harbin. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. Ice and snow have made the northeastern Chinese city of Harbin a popular destination for winter tourism, attracting numerous tourists both from home and abroad. Xin Rinan spoke to tourists to find out more. This might not be what you would imagine to see in freezing temperatures. Visitors from everywhere flock to the Harbin Ice and Snow World, an annual festival in the city which includes a fun rabbit dance. It might be surprising for some, but the majority of the participants are visitors from the south experiencing the snow for the first time. It's my first time dancing in such cold weather, but the atmosphere here is really great, and I feel energized and refilled. This year, the Harbin Ice World Park took up an area of 810,000 square meters, and 250,000 cubic meters of ice and snow were used to create thousands of landscapes. Located in northeast China's Heilongjiang province, Harbin is famous for its unique culture, architecture, and also its warm hospitality. To welcome visitors, the locals have transformed their city into a sleepless carvinal, flying an artificial moon across the sky. Tourists are also given the chance to sightsee in hot air balloons. Some even offered free transport with their own cars. Even animals such as tigers, penguins and polar bears were included in the grand welcome. 
They're so cute and soft. I'd love to hug them if I'm allowed. The provincial Department of Culture and Tourism says the province recorded a total of 6.7 million tourist visits during the New Year's Day holiday, an increase of over 170 percent from last year. Visitors at all popular attractions, such as the Harbin Ice and Snow World, reach record highs. Some have classified Harbin as another dark horse travel destination, just like the barbecue city of Zibo. There's definitely still room for tourism in the city to expand and grow, but it might not take too long, given how earnest and warm its residents are. That was Xin Rinan on the booming tourism in Harbin this winter. An Oklahoma teenager is believed to have become the first human player to beat classic video game Tetris 34 years after its release. Willis Gibson posted a video on his YouTube channel of the moment he, re- he reached level 157, causing the game to crash. It only took the 13-year-old 38 minutes to beat the game. Remarkably, until a few years ago, players believed it was only possible to play up to level 29. The popular video game sees players arrange falling blocks into perfect horizontal lines and increasing speeds. It was originally created in 1984 by Soviet engineer Alexei Pajitov. Now it's 58 past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 5 on Thursday evening. Friday will be sunny and 5. Nanchang is 4 tonight. Tomorrow will have light rain with a high of 13. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is 7 this evening, overcast and 18 tomorrow. Vientiane is 18 overnight. Tomorrow clear and 31. Penal Pen is 23 overnight, cloudy and 34 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 26 on Friday. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Iranian president has vowed to punish those behind Wednesday's deadly win- uh, twin blasts in Kerman. Donald Trump has appealed to the Supreme Court over Colorado's decision to bar him from the state's ballot. On behalf of the staff, this is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 